change is the one constant in life that you can depend upon. However your life is at the moment, whatever it is, uh, I don't want to bust your balloon, but things going to change. Some of them be good, some of them be bad, but there's always changes. Uh, we're living in a time where things are changing drastically and rapidly and not for the good. It, it, it's why I keep using that phrase over and over. I know you're tired of it, but I'm not going to stop. That people that from my generation, we live in a state of shock to imagine, whether it's in the world of technology. How many of you remember Dick Tracy talking into his, supposedly talking into his watch? Well, now you can. Yeah, it's just one change after another, and those kind are all right. But on the other hand, there's some that are uh, horrible. The most recent buzzword, I think, is de-churching. Now, that, that's been going on for a long time, by the way. Churches, people dropping out of church. That's, that's not anything new. But now it has become sort of the theme for a lot of people. De-churching. And they claim that they're dropping out of the church. They want nothing to do with the institution of the church. But that doesn't mean that, you know, they say, it doesn't mean we're leaving the Lord or anything. We're still spiritual people, blah, blah, blah. And so they just drop out of the church. And then there's another group. It's even worse that are debunking Christianity altogether. And the sad thing about this is that movement's being led by preachers, so-called preachers. Some of them famous for writing books that Christians bought and admired. And now they're debunking Christianity, saying there's nothing to it. It's all, all a big lie, that it's not real. In contrast to those kind of changes, you have uh, what we call the prosperity preachers. They're not new either, but, uh, but they're becoming more numerous. You know, that appeals to people during tough times. Lifeway Research, that's a branch of the Southern Baptist Convention that, that does a lot of research. And after the research, they discovered that three in four churchgoers believe, this is a quote now, that 76% believe that God wants them to prosper financially. In other words, that is God's will for each and every one of us to prosper financially. Well, poor old Paul must have been out of the will of God. In addition to all of that, attendance is declining in churches at a record rate. Last year, it set a rate, uh, a, a record rather, for the lowest that we had ever had in people attending church in America. And this year, it looks like it'll probably break that record. 
Now I mention all of that for one reason, and that is to help you to realize or to remind you that we're in a spiritual war. And our adversaries are greater in number. They're more powerful than we can even imagine. We, we wouldn't have, have a chance, not even the slightest chance, without a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why in Ephesians 6, and you can be turning there, in that chapter, Paul tells us to put on the armor of God. In other words, we've got to be battle ready all of the time. There's no season of our Christian life that we can think, all right, well, everything's going great. You don't have anything to worry about. If you're not battle ready, you will become a casualty. And that's why I hope you've been paying attention the last several weeks, couple of months, as we've been speaking about spiritual warfare. This is the 10th message in that series, and it's the last piece of armor. Now, we're not through because I'm going to bring at least one more message related to this. But look at verse number 17, and the last piece of the armor, per se, is the sword of the Spirit. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, whenever I read that, three things come to my mind. First of all, we have to think about the, the soldier's sword, because remember, here is Paul writing these things under the direction of the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit of God is directing him to use the armor of the Roman soldiers as a, as a type, as a shadow, as an illustration of what he's talking about. And, and Paul, on numerous occasions, perhaps even every day, saw the soldiers arrayed in all of their armor. They had two types of swords. One of them we talked about earlier was the broad sword. It was, you know, could be four or five foot long. And the other one, and these described by different Greek words, by the way, was a short sword. It was more of a, a dagger uh, than, than what we would think of as a sword, but it was much shorter and used in hand-to-hand -hand combat. That goes back to whenever we was talking about the girdle of truth. They could hide a weapon there that even when you thought they were disarmed, uh, they had that weapon to use. It served a dual purpose. In other words, uh, two things that it was good for, and we'll talk about it in just a minute, but one was for defense and one was for offense. And I'll repeat what I'm saying, but if you play on defense all of the time, you're going to end up losing. A football team can't do it. You can't do it. You can't be on defense all of the time and win. And here we see that the Lord has supplied what we need both for defense and also for offense. So that was the soldier's sword, but then notice we're talking about the spirit's sword here. And we don't have to guess about what that is because he tells us right here that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Maybe you're wondering, well, why didn't he just say the sword of, of the Word? Well, I think there's three reasons for that. He gave it this title because it, it, the Spirit enables us to understand 
the word. He makes it effective. And he gave it. He's the one that gave us this sword. Gave us the word of God. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I know this is very familiar to most all of you. Verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Peter speaks about the fact that it's something that we cannot do without and that the Spirit of God gave us the Word of God. So whenever you hold this blessed old Bible in your hand, you can rest assured that it is, it is infallible. Why? Because it's inspired by the Spirit of God. It's implicit. I mean, he, look, he's not writing just like somebody would write a novel just to kill time. This is giving us implicit information that we need in the manner of how we're to live. It's inexhaustible. It's indisputable. And any way you look at it, as the old saying goes, the Bible is a book that man could not have written if he would, and he would not if he could. It's so true. Only the Spirit of God could produce something like this. And it's good to know that here, right here in our hands, we have the full and the final revelation of God to man. It's a done deal. There's no other revelation being given. These folks that call themselves prophets are liars. There are no prophets today. Secondly, he enables us to understand it. He gave it, and he enables Remember, he is our teacher. That's something we should never forget, because without the aid of the Holy Spirit, we'd never be able to really understand the Bible in any kind of depth at all. You know, there are folks that have listened to sermons for years and years without ever understanding the Bible, and that's because they've never been born of the Spirit. Spirit of God is our teacher. And He makes it effective. He enlightens our mind to understand it, something that an unsaved person can't do. The unsaved person can read the Bible and they can, they can clearly see exactly what it says. They can even understand to some extent the historical significance of the Bible because it's right there in plain English for us. They understand that, but they have no, no concept at all of the deeper things of God, of the spiritual things of God. When Jesus says you must be born again, that's like a foreign language to them. They have no idea what he's talking about. But the Spirit of God makes it clear. Isn't it a wonderful privilege as a pastor or as a Sunday school teacher, one of our workers in our master's club, or just being a Christian and being with your family or your friends and being able to take the Bible and just share with them the most important information in all of the world. There's absolutely nothing like it. But only the Spirit of God can make what we say effective. If, if we preachers get the idea that it is our human ability, our speaking ability, our personality, our 
charisma or whatever you want to call it. And we get the idea that we can both preach it and bless it. We've made a horrible mistake. We can preach the Word of God, but we can't bless the Word of God. We can't make it effective in someone's life. Only the Spirit of God can do that. These are spiritual truths to be understand, understood by, by the teaching of the Spirit of God working within us. Man is a body and a soul and a spirit. Makes him different than any kind of creature on this earth. There is spirit within the human being that is a seed of God consciousness. And for the natural man, that part of man is dead. There's a disconnect between God. But, but that spirit in the man makes the man yet yearn for something. He knows that there's got to be something more in life than, than, than what he sees, what he finds. And that something is a someone that's the Holy Spirit in our hearts that changes our perspective on everything. But notice here, he's speaking today about the soldier sword that is the sword of the Spirit. But our emphasis today is on the saint's sword. Because only those, and by the way, if you're saved, you're one of the saints. Don't fall for the nonsense that some teach that you've got to do extraordinarily great things, that you've got to work a miracle, and you've got to, uh, you know, be declared to be a saint by someone. The word saint simply means one that is set apart. And the moment you receive Christ as your Savior, you are set apart. The word is sanctification. You are sanctified positionally in the eyes of God. Even though you're not perfect, he looks upon you, and that's justification, as though you've never sinned. You become one of his children. You are one of the saints. And if you're not, you don't have access to the sword that we're talking about today. Now notice the phrase here where he says, because he wants to make sure there's no misunderstanding. He says, the sword of the Spirit is what? The Word of God. Now, this is where some folks get confused because they read over in Hebrews chapter number 4 about the Word of God being sharper than any two-edged sword and so forth and read in other places reference to the Word of God. There are two words, Greek words, that are translated word. The one is logos. That's that's what you would find over in John chapter number one, where it speaks about, you know, Jesus Christ, uh, the Son of God. He is the Word. But there's another word, Rema, that is used here in our text. And this has to do with a specific part of the Word of God. When, when have we put on, remember we put on we put on the girdle of the belt of truth. When we talked about that, that's the truth is what? The Word of God. We put that on. We have to have that as a part of the armor. That's the whole of the Bible. But as far as us being effective in the attacks against us, the Word of God has to be put to use, and that's the word that He is using here. 
He says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So I, I, I don't get it. All right, here's the difference. This is, the, this is the whole Bible. I can't quote it all. I've read it all many times, but I can't quote it all. But this, the whole of this is the Word of God, and you, you need to be acquainted with it. You need to read it. But whenever we talk about specific parts of the Bible, we often refer to some of them as exceeding great and precious promises. We're talking about a part of the Bible that fits the situation that we're in when we're under attack. And by the way, sometimes you can be under attack and you don't even know it. You don't even realize it. But there's some, there's some scripture that you remember maybe way back from Sunday school. And your teacher had you to memorize this particular scripture. And all of a sudden in the midst of the battle that you're going through, that scripture comes to your mind. And he gives you the aid that you need. Whenever you're tempted to sin, you say, well, I'm going to take the sword of the Spirit and I'm just going to say to the devil, devil, get away. I believe the Bible. Well, it's good that you believe the Bible, but that's not what he's talking about. That's not, that's not going to be helpful. You, it, it's not like you just, whenever you're under attack, you open up the Bible and read a verse here and another verse over there. I read about one man years ago that decided that he, somebody told him, you know, you need to read your Bible whenever you get into trouble. This man's in trouble and he didn't know what to do. So he said, I, I'm just, I, I don't know what God wants me to do. I'm just going to open the Bible and he just opened it up. It happened to be that verse over speaking about Judas. Go out and Hang myself. Hang, your, hang yourself. Well, that didn't sound very good. And so he flipped around and opened it again and said, whatsoever thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> so if you're going to play that game of just reading some verse out of the Scripture, I'm telling you, all you'll do is get more confused. And it's not going to help you out of the situation whatsoever. You need a specific passage that is relevant to the situation that you're in. You'll need that at times, whether it may be on defense. You're under attack. And to, you need to be prepared by the memorization of certain scriptures. Jesus himself is the perfect example of this. You remember... Over there, whenever he was taken upon the mountain, the, the devil tempted him. And maybe you're not familiar with Turn over to Mark chapter number 9. And I'm just going to read part of it. We could spend an hour here. But some of you, this might be new to you to think about uh, it being expressed this way. Uh, Get my pages and my Bible stuck. No wonder.
this is the one thing that always irritates me about preachers, not having a bobby pin, having, the, having it ready. You know, as a preacher, you hate to admit that, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I'm, I'm totally... I'm totally in the dark here. Thank you. I don't know why I had Mark. And I got to thinking, well, maybe it's Matthew. And so I go back to Matthew. You folks watching online, I don't do this every week, so be patient. I'm just going to tell you what happened. The devil took him <laughs> up on the mountain. Now, maybe you're already wondering, well, how does the devil have the ability to the devil take Jesus up on the mountain? Well, it's because of divine providence. God allowed it because we had to understand exactly what was being implied here. He goes up on the mountain and he tempts him in three ways. And in each instance, the Lord, what, quoted a scripture. But if you look at the scripture, every time the scripture he quoted related to the temptation that he was facing. Always. Now, he could have said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, you know. He could have quoted that. He could have gone away back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. He could, in the beginning, God. He could have quoted that. He could have quoted any verse. But the only verse that was going to really fit the occasion and the only verse that was going to be able to defeat the temptation was what? A verse related to that. And we're talking about the Word of God, the Word of the Spirit being used as a means of defense against the devil. Because I don't care how many years you've been saved, how spiritual you are, how knowledgeable you are of the Bible, there will be times that, for whatever reason, you're going to find yourself in a pit of depression. There are going to be times you feel yourself being angry at people you have no right to be angry at. Oh, that list could go on and on and on. And what do, what do we do when we find ourselves that way? I, Brother Kenneth and I often speak to one another about praying for certain things, and I have no, no qualms at all about asking Brother Kenneth to pray for something. It's not always something you want the entire congregation to know about it, and I'm glad we have a relationship to where we can share with one another. The other day I asked him to 
pray about something, now, I won't mention what it was, but it was important. He does the same to me. Regardless of who you are, you're under attack every day in some way or another. He'll, he'll make you, the devil will make you feel that God's being so unfair. The devil will make you feel like that uh, you deserve a whole lot better than what you've got. And after a while, you'll just, your lower lip will be dragging the ground and you, you just feel like giving up. It might be that the temptation is that you're flat broke and you'll never be able to pay your bills and you're probably going to not be able to feed your family. What do you do? You quote a verse of Scripture that relates to that. I've often said when I first got saved, I don't think I quoted any verse in the Bible more than Philippians 4.13. I can do all things. Not me. That was my attitude before I was saved. That was my attitude the day I stood on my head on the bar and dared any blankety blank blank to come up and shove me off. I thought I could do anything then. But I found out I couldn't. But now with Christ, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Thank God, whatever it is that you're facing, you have a Savior that's able to deliver you. You say, well, preacher, but you don't understand. I'm broke. I don't know what I'm going to do. Same chapter, same book. Verse 19, But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory. (laughs) Boy, if that doesn't wake you up, if that doesn't help you through the difficulty, the devil doesn't like that because whenever he has you down and he's beating the stuffing out of you and you feel like you're just going to give up, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to give you a strength and encouragement that you never had before. I can't tell you how many times that, that we claimed these promises, Bev and I, through the years, and the times, what are we going to do with school starting, and the kids got holes in their shoes, and what do we do? And some way or another, we just lived on those promises, and God provided the needs. What we do, I want you to remember this. You know, the Bible says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's the importance of you hiding the word of God in your heart. Having that scripture available when you're under attack. And, And what we do grows out of what we think. Our thoughts, what we're focused on. And there's so many times that, I mean, one minute, I'll just be personal. I, I, I'm, you know, I, I never, some people think I'm mad all of the time, and I'm really not. It's just the way my face is formed. I don't, I'm not mad. But there's sometimes that there, I'll let little things, 
I say little things, I'm talking about in the grand scheme to things, it's something little and petty, and I'll let that eat at me and eat at me and eat at me, and the Spirit of God will bring some Scripture to mind. Be content in whatever state you're in. Be, be content. That's the Lord telling me to be content. And for me to not pay any attention to that. You see, here's what happens. I didn't aim to get off on this, but it's important. Here's what happens. We talk about being Bible believers, right? Oh, I believe the Bible from cover to cover. I, I believe it all. That's well and good, but when push comes to shove and you're under attack, here's what happens. You're going through a bad situation and you, you've got it in your mind. You're thinking about this. That person hates me. They hate my guts. I know they do. I'm not going to smile at them. I'm not going to shake their hand. I'm going to, I don't want nothing to do with them. I don't like people like that. Or it could be 101 different illustrations. And that's all you can think about. Or my kids are going to starve but don't have any money. Can't think about it. Well, what did God say? What, what are those promises about you being able to do all things and supplying all of your needs? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Yeah, and all these things shall be added unto you. That's a promise. You see, when we get right down to it, here's what we do. We end up believing our own thoughts instead of believing what God says. How awful is that? That Lord, I, you know, I'm going to believe me instead of you. If we're going to win, we have to have the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and that portion of the Word of God that pertains to the situation that you're in. That's true for defense, it's true for offense also. You know, for one thing, that little sword, as short as it is, is able to ward off blows. They call that parry, to parry off a blow from another. It's able to also to jab, to stick, to slash, to cut. It's an offensive weapon as well. Whenever we're under attack, the Word of God helps us on the offense, first of all, by exposing air. I just talked about us believing ourselves instead of believing what God says. And throughout the Bible, we find that, that it has been attacked like nobody, no other book ever. No other document has ever been attacked like the Bible. They're not satisfied to just doubt it. They're not satisfied to just deny it. They're not satisfied to ridicule it. There have been periods of history where they literally burned it. They banned it. They didn't want it in anyone's hands. Hated and despised. Why would anyone do that? Jesus gave us the answer in John chapter 3 because men love darkness rather than light. And this book is light. It brings things into the light. And whenever we depend upon the Word of God, it exposes Air, whether that air has to do with you or whether in dealing with other people or, or whatever it is, 
the Word of God helps expose that. Let me tell you, especially our young people today, but not just the young people, that pressure to embrace air is great, maybe greater than it's ever been. Millions that have been deceived by cults, and, and that's still happening even today. Jesus tells us it's the truth that what? The truth that sets us free. The truth that liberates us from the air, from the lies of these false teachers. He faced it in, in, in the days of Paul and, and Peter and all of the apostles had to face that very thing. And it was through the Word of God they exposed the heirs of others. So I was reading this week there in Acts chapter 2 and I thought, yeah, for some reason it just hit me like a ton of brick that I thought, I want to preach that. As soon as I get done with this, I want to preach that. That sermon of Peter's. I, I just, the courage it took to stand up and to say what he said. And he let them know, no uncertain terms, on the day of Pentecost as he's preaching, you crucified. You crucified Christ, the one that came to deliver you, you put him to death. It's hard to confront people about the heirs when it pertains to religion, we got a weak-kneed government today that's on a one-track mind. That is to totally change our culture, to eliminate anything that pertains to strictness in regards to Christianity. And it's only through the Word of God that we're able to see the lies that are being told. These kids go to school and they have to, they have to face all of that. Because the other kids, those that are not Christians, not in Christian homes, they're going to believe what? They're going to believe what mom and dad said and what the teacher says. And in m most cases probably, eventually they're going to be taught about evolution and all of that nonsense. Be some teacher that wants to get them into a, creating a woke world or the work, woke world needs to wake up. I tell you, we don't have it all figured out. They don't have it all figured out. They're on the wrong track. But listen, when we talk about the Word of God, it doesn't just expose air. If that's all it did, it would never be enough because it also explains the gospel. Using the Word of God to express not only the need of man, but also for the solution to man's problem. Thank God for that. When you sit down with one of your friends and you're talking to them about the Lord and by the way, you always have to, first of all, make sure they understand that they are a sinner in the sight of God. Isn't that where we start, right, fellas? You've you got to start there. That's the, the, the preaching of the law. It's our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. They've got to see that they're a sinner. But if you just stop there, you haven't really accomplished anything. It's only whenever they hear the truth of the gospel. It brings them to a saving knowledge of Christ. Number three, it edifies the believer. After a person is saved, 
It's God's command, God's desire that we grow in what? In the likeness and the image of His dear Son. I often say, you know, if we're not growing, we're backslidden. You may, you may be saved on your way to heaven, but the, when your spiritual growth stops, you're backslidden. Because I don't care who you are, you're not exactly like Jesus. That means you've still got room to grow. I'm not there. Brother Kenneth isn't there yet. You're not there yet. And thank God for the Word of God that edifies. That means it's strengthened to build up. And that's exactly what it does. And lastly, I want to say that it, that same sword encourages the saints. Amen. As nothing else can do. You know, information is so very important. If we don't get the right information, we're going to be on the wrong track. But if you could quote every verse of the Bible and you're just a great teacher, preacher, there are going to come days and times in your life where you're going to need inspiration more than more, than more information. The inspiration, I'm talking about the encouragement that, that, that only God can give. And Solomon said, blessed is the man that heareth me. Blessed is the man that heareth me. Speaking, of course, about the Word of God over in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, Christ. And remember, Christ is what? The wisdom of God is what we're told in 1 Corinthians. And in Luke 11, he says, Blessed are they that hear the Word of God and keep it. Blessed. Blessed. Hang on to that word. Remember that. Blessed are they. There's nothing in the world that will comfort and cheer the heart like the truth of God's Word. Those precious promises that you cling to in a moment of desperation. There's never a right time to quit. Never a time when it's okay to give up. Till the day that we die, we're in the fight and we're here for a reason. God has appointed us and out of our misery comes a, a ministry of some kind. I think about Jesus suffering on the cross, dying for our sins. How horrible. That's the greatest enact, uh, 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 enactment of judgment ever in history. And yet it was for the very best thing that could happen to man. Sometimes we think, well, there's nothing good that can come out of my situation. Well, if good doesn't come out of it, it's your fault, not God's. Because God, in His providence, allows things into our life and out of our misery. God says, I want to use that. First Corinthians chapter one didn't that those that have been comforted, what, what does he tell you to do? Comfort others. And it's through the word of God that we find the inspiration that we need. The psalmist said, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. 
That's wise advice. Job said, I have esteemed the words of my mouth more than my necessary food. If you're going to win in this battle, and again I repeat, you're under attack, and if you're going to win, you better be familiar enough with the Bible that when you're going through the most trying time of your life, that there is a verse, a truth that you can cling to in that moment. You see, the Word of God is more powerful than you think it is. It's not just you knowing that verse. It's not just you being able to quote that verse at that time. Now listen carefully. I promise I'll quit. This is so important because you say, well, yeah, but I've been in that situation and I quoted those verses, you know, and, I, and just uh, I kept trying and trying. Well, that's probably the problem there. This is unlike any other book. It is alive. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter number four. It's alive. It's a living book. It cuts. It does something. It's operative in our life. And when we quote it with the right attitude toward God, our Heavenly Father, when we quote that, the Spirit of God uses it. It's not you using it. It's the Spirit of God using that. He does something with it. What does he do? He drives the devil away. He's the one that delivers you from that temptation. The one that gets you up when you're down. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand. Are you dressed in the armor of God today? Have you put on the armor? Are you battle ready? You say, yeah, I did that a couple of weeks ago. You better do that every day. Every day. We get up and just like you get dressed in the morning, you, you need to get up and dress yourself in the armor of God and be prepared for what you might face. Isn't it wonderful being a Christian and knowing that you have that you have all of that available to you as a child of God, that, wow, that we don't have to be a victim, we can be victors in this. That's wonderful. But if you're here today and you've never received Christ, I, I just got to tell you, and I, I, I don't like it, but you're on your own. You're at the mercy of the devil and there's no way in this world that you can ever become the person that you want to be or the person that God wants you to be. It can't happen until first of all, Christ is your Savior. If you haven't received Him, would you receive Him this morning? Would you come? Right where you're at, while we stand, Brother David's going to come, the musicians, we're going to have the invitation. Just let's bow our heads together. Christians, I want you to be praying. And it might be as a Christian, you, you, you want to you do business with God about something today. But I want you to really pray with me that if there's someone here that's never been saved, that right now they would trust Christ. Heavenly Father, we know that that Satan will do anything he can to, to distract that unsaved person. 
anything he can to divert attention away from what Jesus did. Lord, I just pray today that you'll just sweep away every excuse that's in their mind right now. Help them to realize that today is the day of salvation. Now is the time and at this very moment, as impossible as it might seem to them, that if they will simply, in their heart, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that He died for their sins, He arose for their justification, if they'll put their faith in Him, that they could be saved right now. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and whosoever meaneth, meaneth, Someone, help them this morning to come and to share with us that that fact today that I am receiving Christ as my Savior. And if they've got questions, help us to take the Bible and show them that God has the answer for those questions. For we pray in Jesus' name while we sing.